Good morning, church. That's how we roll. All right, happy Columbus Day weekend. I am so glad that I get to be here with you today, but before we go too far, I did a first service. I need to do it again because it's brownie points. Today is my anniversary with my beautiful wife, Katie, 12 years. We are super excited for that. And uh, if you didn't know, my name is Frank. I am one of the pastors here at Community Covenant Church. Uh, I've been on staff here for uh, over six years now, uh, believe it or not, and I've been serving in family ministry with my wife Katie for uh, about a year and a half almost, a a year and, not a year and a half, but a little while, and and we are blessed to be able to serve uh, you and blessed to be able to serve the church uh, in that way. We couldn't be more blessed to be a part of all that God is doing uh, in and about and around southern, uh, southeastern New England, and uh, here we are. We are a few weeks into our series here called Only God, and it's a series where we're talking about how we want to be a church, how we want to be his church that looks back one day and says one thing, only God. We want to be a church that looks back one day and says only God, only God could have done that. Only God could have caused such an increase. We, we work hard. We plant seeds, Apollos waters them, but it's up to God to make it grow. We are going to be a church that looks back one day and says only God could have done that. And, and now every week, I have the privilege of being able to share with kids and students, uh, whether it be on Sunday morning downstairs in one of our environments or midweek during our youth group uh, that gathers on Wednesday evenings. And every week when I'm with the students, uh, I do my best to try to remind them, because I think sometimes we get caught in a trap, that when we say church, we, we tend to think of a building. When you say we want to be an only God church, sometimes we think, all right, well, we're going to, with these four walls and uh, the stone backdrop and all the technology and the TVs and the band and the chairs and the programs and the coffee and the lobby and the music and the greeters and the playground. And sometimes we think place, sometimes we think location. We get hung up and think, all right, church, 615 Tremont Street, Rehoboth, Mass, 02769. And, and the reality is, this is not the church. This is simply where the church comes and gathers. This is not the church. You are the church. We are the church. We simply come and we gather here. And I think it's important for us to understand this. So when we say that we are going to be an only God church, that means we're going to be an only God group of people. We're going to be an only God group of people who come and gather together. And when we want to be a church, we want to be a church that works hard. We want to be a church that stewards faithfully. We want to be a church that prays even harder. But at the end of the day, we're going to acknowledge that it's only God. At the end of the day, we want to acknowledge that it's only God. So this morning, we're going to continue on with that theme. And we're going to talk about something that's very near and dear to me, and it's this idea of leaving a legacy. Leaving a legacy, and leaving a legacy where it counts. Specifically, with our children. And when I say children, I don't necessarily just mean your own. This isn't meant to be a teaching on parenting, although we're going to cover a lot of material this morning that will uh, play into that. This is a teaching about investing. And we're talking about not investing in the church of tomorrow, but rather we're talking about investing in the church of today. Here's something to think about. Just under half of the people that attend Community Covenant Church on a weekly basis are under the age of 18. Just under half. And so it's sometimes easy to get caught up and think that this right here is church. 
And I know it's a holiday weekend and maybe there's not as many people here as there normally would be in second gathering, but the reality is first service, we usually have between 60 and 70 kids uh, downstairs, whether it be be, uh, through beginnings all the way through students. Second service, we have anywhere from 50 to 60, 65 kids. And then on Wednesday nights during youth group, we have another 40 plus kids. And, And so when we think about it, just under half of the church is under the age of 18. And that's why it's the church of today, not the church of tomorrow. And so as we think about this, if we want to be an only God church, if we want to be an only God church, it's imperative that we think about our kids and students. It's imperative that they are on the forefront of our minds. It's it's imperative that they are a part of any planning that we do, anything like that. And here's why. Let me me show you an excerpt from a study by Barna Group. Nearly 6 in 10, 59%, nearly 6 in 10 of young people who grew up in Christian churches end up walking away. The unchurched segment among millennials has increased in the last decade from 44 to 52%, mirroring a larger cultural trend away from church going in America. When asked what has helped their faith grow, church does not even make the top 10. I want to think about that for a second. There's two key things in there. One, 59%, six out of 10. Two, Church doesn't even make the top 10 list of what helps their faith grow. Huge, huge problems. It's a huge problem. And here's the thing I want to think about. I just said that there's roughly 60 to 70 kids downstairs in a gathering on a Sunday morning, each service. Let's say 60. Based on this, national averages, and we in Northeast tend to be a little bit below the national average, or in this case, above the national average. Who here wants to go downstairs and look into the face of 36 of those 60 children and tell them that one day they're going to walk away from their faith? Who wants to pick the 36 out of the 60? Who wants to pick 59%? Let's take it a step further. Let's bring it a little closer to home. My wife Katie and I, we have four beautiful children, Emma, Ava, Addison, and Frankie. I always say it like that because it helps remind me of their names. <laughs> Eventually, Frankie's it's going to go this way, but for now. Statistically speaking, before I get there, my job as a father, I want to instill values in my children. I want to teach them to love the Lord their God with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength, every fiber of their being. I want nothing more than for my children to grow up knowing the love and hope and joy and peace that is found only through Christ Jesus. I want them to know how to find life and how to have it to the fullest, how to live life abundantly. So back to Emma, Ava, Addison, and Frankie for a moment. Which two? Do I want to give that to? 59% of children will walk away from their faith as adults. I'm not okay with that. As a church, we should not be okay with that. If this doesn't turn something inside of your stomach as a follower of Jesus, I don't know what will. But here's the thing, church. Not surprisingly, or surprisingly, I should say, um, there was another study that was done while Barner Group was working on this. They were going through a, a, a lot of trends as, as it pertains to family ministry throughout the entire country. 
And, and there were pastors from all over the country, uh, all, over, all over the country, churches, people through Bible Belt, everywhere. And, and they surveyed uh, the lead pastors of these churches and asked them if family ministry, if kids and students were a priority in their church. Only 7% of the churches in the country answered yes. 7%. So when we think about how there's 59% of kids walking away from Jesus in their faith, and we say, well, this is a real problem, but yet we don't invest in them. Only 7% of the churches in the country put kids and students as a priority within the church. Something has to change. It cannot stay like this. So in the book of Matthew, all right, it's one of the four Gospels. We're going to take a, a quick look here. Um, and this is one of the accounts of Jesus' life. In Matthew chapter 19, we read this. One day, some parents brought their children to Jesus so he could lay his hands on them and pray for them. But the disciples, the disciples, the followers of Jesus, the, the people closest to Jesus, scolded the parents for bothering him. I want you to think about that for a second. It wasn't the teachers of the law. It wasn't the Pharisees. It wasn't the Sadducees. It wasn't any of these. It was the disciples. It was the people closest to Jesus that prevented the kids from coming to see him. They scolded the parents and said, no, 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 this is an adult thing. But look how Jesus responds, verse 14. But Jesus said, let the children come to me. Let the children come to me. Don't stop them, for the kingdom of heaven belongs to those who are like these children. And he placed his hands on their heads and blessed them before he left. Let the children come to me, is what Jesus says but we tend to want to tuck them into a corner. Let the grown-ups do the grown-up thing. Let's get rid of the obstacles, Jesus says. But the disciples say, no, 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 no. You can't bring them to him. They're too messy. They're too dirty. They're, too, they're making too much noise. They're disrupting the sermon. We can't have those kids in here. Do not hinder them, Jesus says. Let them come just as they are for the kingdom of heaven belongs to these. You see, an only God church, an only God church will create access for kids and students to meet Jesus on their level. An only God church will create access for kids, both kids and students to meet Jesus on their own level. We're not settling. We're not willing to let six out of 10 kids and students walk away from church in faith. We are committed to pursuing every single child that walks through these doors, every single child in our community, as recklessly as God pursues us. Kids and students is now, and it will continue to be a priority, not because they're the church of tomorrow, but because they are, in fact, the church of today. Kids will be a priority because they're not the church of tomorrow. They are, in fact, the church of today. And here's the thing, church. If we're going to be an only God church and a church that only God can get credit for, we need to invest in this generation. So our prayer, our prayer as a church is that over the next season of Community Covenant Church, we want to see 1,000 kids and students interact with our environment and our events over the next couple of years. 1,000 unique kids and students. This is an audacious, audacious goal. And quite frankly, it's terrifying as someone that oversees some of this area. It's horrifying to think a thousand kids, but man, I can't tell you, it gets me excited. Because here's the thing, we have five programs every single week that we fill up with kids. I want to bring it to 10. 
We have uh, programs that happen throughout the year. We have summer challenge. This year we had a record high 200 kids that came to a week-long camp where kids between ages 4 and 12 learned about how they were created wonderfully in the image of God and how that if they want to have life and have it to the fullest, they do it through Jesus Christ. And there was over 40 lives changed by Christ this past year. There was 200 kids, 100 volunteers. But you know what? I want higher. We want higher as a church. We had a a whole group of students that went away over this summer uh, to just dive deeper into gospel-centered community and and they grow in their relationships so that as their faith becomes real and authentic, they have people to grow with. I want more. We have an annual winter retreat where we go away with students so they can uh, have a faith that becomes real in their own every winter and we fill up a coach bus out in our parking lot on a Friday afternoon in February and we head up north and we just have an amazing weekend where kids encounter Jesus at their level. But here's the thing, we got one bus, I want two. We're gonna create an opportunity for families to bring their children. We're gonna take Summer Challenge and put it into an evening uh, in January where we can invite families from our community to come and experience God at their level, no strings attached. You see, we sometimes get so, co- so content where we are and we look at the rooms and we say there's a lot of kids in those rooms. But here's the thing, there's a lot of kids that aren't in those rooms. We go and say, wow, we got 40 plus students here on a Wednesday night, that's awesome, but there's like 10,000 in our community that aren't here. And so sometimes we get so excited about the things that we do well that we, we miss out on all the opportunities around us. And I'm not saying what we're doing is bad, I'm just saying that if we wanna be an only God church, we gotta think up here, not down here. We gotta think up here, not down here. And I have no idea where I am in my notes. <laughs> So, if we want to be an only God church, what do we do? If we want to be an only God church, what do we do? First and foremost, we have to turn to his word. We have to take our cue from him. We have to take our cue from the instruction that he's laid out before us. So with that, I invite you to open up your Bibles. Uh, Deuteronomy chapter 6, it's page 155. Uh, It's the fifth book uh, of the Bible, right in the front there. And this is a sermon that's shared from Moses to the Israelite people. And he's giving them instructions on how to leave a legacy. Deuteronomy chapter 6, we're going to start right at verse 1. These are the commands, decrees, and regulations that the Lord your God commanded me to teach you. This is Moses speaking to the Israelite people. You must obey them in the land you are about to enter and occupy. And you and your children and grandchildren must fear the Lord your God as long as you live. If you obey all his decrees and commands, you will enjoy a long life. Verses 1 and 2. You see, church, to be an only God church... To be an only God church that, provide, that creates and provides access for children to meet Jesus at their own level, there's one thing that we need to do, and it starts with this. We, we need to start by having a plan. There's a process that we're going to have to follow. And, and creating disciples, whether children or adults, here's the thing, it doesn't happen by accident. Salvation, instantaneous. You welcome Jesus into your heart, you are a life change, but the reality is the process of becoming a disciple is a lifelong transformative journey. The arrival part, when we arrive at that, is is when we're with our creator. We are all in the process of becoming more like Christ. There's no, there's no, I'm there, I'm done. No. 
You're a disciple, but you're growing as a disciple. So it, there, salvation is instantaneous, but becoming a disciple is, is transformative. It's important for us to understand that. It takes a great deal of intentionality. It takes a great deal of time. It's a huge commitment. This does not happen overnight. And, and here's the thing. As a parent, something for us to understand, as a parent, our primary focus, our primary focus is to raise fully functional adults. Right? I, I think that's a, a safe thing to say. As a parent, our primary focus, our primary goal is to raise fully functioning adults. But here's the thing. As parents, we need to help our children. We need to transfer their dependence from being fully on us to being fully on God. So we think about parenting, when we think about stewarding, when we think about raising up another generation, our job is to raise fully functioning adults who do not depend on us, but rather depend 100% fully on God. And here's the thing, it's important to understand that you, you are the primary disciple maker, not the church, not me, not Pastor Brandon, not the volunteers and the coaches down in elementary room or preteen, not the small group leaders on Wednesday evening, not the folks in beginnings or the preschool room. We're here to help you, we're here to equip you with all that we can, but the reality is you, as a parent, are the primary disciple maker. Kids go to school to learn math and social studies and English and coding, whatever else is they learn at school right now. Kids come to church to learn about God they come to church to learn about faith. They come to be connected into gospel-centered community. So they know God up here, but the reality is kids actually learn how to know God, to know him at home. It doesn't happen here. And I think sometimes we want to bring our kids to school and drop them off and say, all right, our kids are going to be good students. No, our kids go to school to learn. They become students at home. Our kids go to church to learn about God, but they're going to learn to know God at home. And it's important for us to to understand this. As a church, our goal is to partner with you. Our goal is to equip you with the tools necessary to raise a disciple. As a church, we are committing to partner with you. We believe that two combined influences, church and home, are going to better allow us to help create disciples. But the reality is, as a parent, that's on you. We want to help equip you. We want to help provide you with the tools necessary to do this. So, what do we do? In order to do this, we need to understand what phase or season our children in. So I want to real quickly just walk through a couple of phases. And if you walk through our family ministry environments, you'll see posters on the walls and they kind of outline uh, the different phases, uh, zero through 18, with some information about them. Really cool to take a look at. Uh, but a phase is this. A phase is a time frame in a kid's life when you can leverage distinctive opportunities to influence their future. So when we think about kids and we think about having a plan, we think about the fact that as parents, we're, we're creating disciples and the church is going to partner and equip us. Uh, we have to understand all this goes through the lens of our kids are in phases. A two-year-old is going to be discipled differently than an 18-year-old. If we have one approach, guess what? It ain't going to work. So it's important to understand the phases. So we have four different phases. I'm going to use a whiteboard. I just want to let you know, my handwriting is absolutely atrocious. So bear with me. I'm going to try my best to spell everything right, but I'm not sure. So the phase number one is this, embrace, all right? This is zero to four, and when we think about this age group, they participate in beginnings in our preschool room. Uh, we call this phase embrace because of this. We are gaining, let me think of how to say this. 
where, where physical trust is being established. Physical trust is being established by how we embrace their physical needs. Okay, in, in this phase, physical gain, uh, excuse me, physical trust is being established by embracing physical needs. There are 12 hours of positional authority or positional influence for a child that is zero to four years old. 12 hours a day of positional influence that you have over a child zero to four. At this age, every child is motivated by safety. Everything goes through the filter of, am I okay? Am I safe? Is mom okay? Is dad okay? Am I going to get hurt? Am I able? As parents, we begin to introduce discipline. We begin to introduce discipline into the lives and provide consistent boundaries around people, places, and things. We should also be introducing our children into loving community. Loving community that reflects the love of God. Kids in this phrase, they're in beginnings and they're in preschool. And here at church, we're helping children know God's love by how we interact with them. It's not so much what we say to a child in beginnings or in preschool. It's more how we say it. It's not the words we choose to say. It's not how cool the room is. It's the fact that we're there and we're modeling the love of Christ for our little ones. People say, oh, beginnings is babysitting. Well, you know what? It kind of is. But here's the thing. We're loving your children. We're loving your children. We're showing them what the love of Christ looks like. And let me tell you, if you're in there and there's 15 kids in there, you have the patience of Jesus if you're in there serving. Like it is, and sometimes it is hard, but we're loving your children. In preschool, we have stories and crafts and all these sorts of things. And sometimes I look at the crafts that my, my children do and I look and say, wow, that's beautiful. Eh. But it was the fact that the leader in there took time to place every single dot on the paper with my little girl. It wasn't what the craft turned out to be. It was the process of holding their hand and loving them and showing them what the love of God looks like. We're introducing them to God's family on a regular and consistent uh, basis. The second phase is this. It's engage. Now, this group is ages 5 to 11. They... They are down in our elementary room, which is K to four, uh, K to three, and in our preteen room, which is grades four, five, and six. And here's the thing: our positional authority, our positional influence, drops from 12 hours a day down to six. It's cut in half when our ch children go into school. This makes sense. And it's no surprise that kids in this phase they're motivated by fun. This is where relational equity is being earned in, uh, excuse me, this is where relational equity is now being earned by engaging with their interests. Now, now for a moment, I want to speak to all parents here, really, uh, but specifically dads, because I'm a dad. Engaging with your child's interests. This is how we gain relational equity. Sometimes, I think we think that that means having them engage in our interests, Let me explain. Every Sunday, I come to church. Every Sunday afternoon, we leave church. So far, so good. Particularly around the first week of September, all the way through the first Sunday in February, I find myself getting home, and I sit on the couch. 
I turn on the television and I put on either CBS or Fox and I watch football until those games are over and then I change the channel to NBC and I watch Football Night in America and it doesn't matter if my team's playing or not. My daughters will sometimes sit with me and they'll, they'll, I don't want to say pretend, but they'll take an interest in football for a little while. For a little while. Maybe not nine hours, but for a little while. And sometimes I give myself a pat on the back as a father and think that I'm engaging in something that interests them. Whereas the reality is they're engaging with something that interests me. As I was writing this this morning, or not this morning, as I was writing and preparing for this throughout the week, this was something that was very convicting to me. Because the reality is our children adore us. They look up to us. They want nothing more than to find acceptance from us and, and for us to welcome them with loving arms for who they are. But the reality is they're going to take interest in whatever you take interest in because they just want to be with you. But if you want to gain equity with your kids, you need to meet them where they're at, not the other way around. You need to engage with them with what interests them, not the other way around. If your kid's a diehard football fan, that's awesome. But here's the deal. You can hit pause, you can record it, and you can go out in the backyard and you can play football. You can dress up and do tea parties and you can do all sorts of different things. You can take them out for ice cream and not be one of the dads that sits there while they're enjoying ice cream with their kids playing on Facebook. Invest in your kids and engage with them in a way, in, in something that interests them, not something that interests you. I got way off track there, but that's okay. As parents, as parents here, we have to understand everything goes through this filter of do I have your attention? Do I have what it takes? Do I have friends who like me for me? We begin as adults training and introducing transferable principles that will help them throughout their entire life. And I say introduce, right? We begin training and we begin introducing. And the reason I say introduce is because you're gonna say it over and over and over and over and over again. And as a parent, there's nothing that seems to be more draining. But here's the deal. The reason you repeat yourself is because your thoughts and your ways are not their ways. If they were their ways, you wouldn't have to say it in the first place. So it's okay, but you're beginning to train your children in the way in which they should go. Kids in this phase are interacting with elementary and preteen. We're helping kids know uh, in our programs on Sunday mornings that they can trust God's character, and we're helping them experience God's family through meaningful interaction week over week that builds week over week. That's engaged. The next phase is this, affirm. This is, uh, can be summed up in one word, teenagers. Um, ages 12 to 16, we'll say. And, and here's the thing, our positional influence goes from 12 hours a day down to six. In this group, two to four. It gets cut in half every phase that we go through. Teenage years, relational equity that was earned in these earlier years through embracing physical needs and engaging in their interest, that relational equity right now is being put to the test and it is being put to the test hard. The key motivator for this group is acceptance. Everything goes through this filter of who am I, where do I belong, and why? They ask the question, why? So much it's ridiculous. Go to bed, why? Eat, why? Everything's why. 
take a shower. Why? Because you stink. Right? right? Like, they want to know why. Why do I have to wear a deodorant? Like, it doesn't matter. Why? They want to understand. They want to understand their place. They want to understand how they fit. In this phase, we need to take on this mindset of coach. We really need to take on a mindset of coach. Our influence is decreasing. We only have so much time. We really need to coach them. And here's the thing. As we coach them, we need to listen frequently. We listen frequently. We encourage extremely specifically. And we guide patiently. Let me say that again. We're going to listen frequently. We're going to encourage specifically. And we're going to guide patiently. When you are engaging with a teenager... A lot of times when we're listening, we're not listening. When we're listening, we're merely listening to respond and to get our own two cents in. But the reality is, if you want to coach a teenager, you need to listen to them to understand, not to respond. When you're having a conversation with them, try saying this. All right, so if I hear you correctly, you're saying this. This is how you feel. Is that right? Okay, I got it wrong. Why why don't you try again? And then do that over and over until you get it. And then when you get it, then you can say, hey, you know, when I was your age, I was experiencing this. And I don't know, but maybe I could help you out if we, we, we did this. Or maybe this would work. But you're, they're putting the relational equity that you have with them to the test. And if you listen merely to respond, you are going to lose that equity so quick, it's unbelievable. Kids in these phases, they're interacting here at church on our Sunday morning program with students and on our midweek program with students, and we're helping kids take ownership in their faith as they build value in being part of a gospel-centered community. So they're, they're, making faith, they're helping their faith that they've been engaging with all the way through uh, infancy, all the way through, they're, they're making it their own, and now they're beginning to engage in gospel-centered community. And then the next phase is this, mobilize. This is ages 17 to 18 plus. And guess what? What do you think happens to your influence here? Less than an hour a day. Less than one hour a day. We be, uh, this is where we begin to share relational influence and we help mobilize their potential. And something to understand here is this. We need to transition from being a coach to a friend. And now some of you are hearing this right now and you're thinking, my 16-year-old, I'm going to go from being a coach to a friend. Well, here's the deal. It needs to happen. Because like it or not, you're on a level playing field. You're on a level playing field. And if you don't start to leverage the influence you have in a very specific way and you take on more of a friendship role with your children, there's going to be a, a significant problem as these children go from fully, uh, into fully functioning adulthood. They're not going to be trans. Uh, fully dependent on God, they're going to still be fully dependent on you. And it's our responsibility to raise disciples. They're thinking, how do I matter? What will I be? What will I do? How do I fit in? Kids in these phases are interacting uh, with our student programs as well, and we're helping kids pursue an authentic faith as they uh, pursue and discover their personal mission. So if, if you've been with us for a while, so you, you kind of know the phases, you know the programs, and we've walked through some different things here, but one thing I want to show you that's extremely important to understand is I talk about positional influence. We could refer to this as to parental oversight, positional authority, wh- whatever you want to put in there is fine. It starts way up here. But what happens is, over time, it decreases. That's not a surprise to any of us. An individual oversight begins down here. 
The only thing a baby's responsible for at infancy is keeping his parents awake. Come on. All right? Keeping their parents away. And now here's the thing. That individual responsibility, what does it do? It begins to increase. I drew this X a little wrong. It belongs over here more. But this individual responsibility begins to increase over time. And here's what happens. There's a transition that takes place right in the middle. And there's a change of power. And if you don't understand this change of power and you don't recognize it and you don't respond to it, there's going to be a significant problem. What we call this circle right here is teenage years. And God help us all. All right, teenagers. But there is something that happens and it's important for us to understand that there's this change where you go from having positional authority where you can say, you're gonna do this to where you need to say, I think you should do this. If we don't do that well, if we don't do that well, if we don't embrace where children are at, we keep trying to get them to fit our mold, guess what happens? They're going to become resentful of us, and we, are, we have no chance of creating disciples. It's important that we understand that we have 12 hours, then 6 hours, then 2 to 4, and then less than 1, and that we leverage everything here. And what's scary about this is our amount of influence, as it decreases, the more we need it, increases. And that's why it's so important to be part of a gospel-centered community where your kids can engage and they have influences outside of the home that they're connected to. So we create access for kids and students to meet Jesus by having a plan, by number two, by loving God. I'm running way behind, I'm sorry. Deuteronomy 6 says this, chapter, uh, verse four. Listen, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord alone, and you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your strength, and you must commit yourselves wholeheartedly to these commands that I'm giving you today. Here's the thing, loving God. It doesn't say tell your kids how to love God. It doesn't say tell your kids to love God. It says this, love God. If you want to create access for your kids to meet Jesus, you need to simply love God yourself. If you want kids to love Jesus, it starts with modeling this behavior and modeling it authentically. As a church, we talk about growing deep roots. We talk about our grandchildren's grandchildren. We talk five generations out. And here's the thing, when you think that way, when you think generation upon generation upon generation, it really causes you to take pause and think about the actions now. It causes you to think about your behavior today. And imagine for a moment, I had three chairs up here. I had chair number one, chair number two, chair number three. And chair number one, we'll call these first chair parents. And in the first chair parents, what I want you to think about is this. You have a parent or, or a mom and a dad who love God. Love God with every fiber of their being. They don't just practice it in public. It really turns on when there's no one watching. And they model this for their children. In chair number two, you have second chair parents and, and they say all the right things and they show up at the right times and they do the right things. But the reality is behind closed doors, it's pretty superficial. This is the family that prays together before meals, but only if everyone's gathered around the table and the kids aren't crying and if there's a friend over the house or if they're praying before the meal because they're out in public and they're in the middle of Chili's or Outback Steakhouse and like, all right, people are watching, hold your hands, hold your hands, hold your hands. And then their little one says, but dad, we don't ever pray before meals. You say, shut up and you hold their hand tighter. All right, and that, these are the people I'm talking about. You know what I'm talking about, all right? You do it for show. 
You do it for show. It's not real. It's not authentic. You care about what people see. You care about the highlight reel, but you don't care at all about the outtakes. And then you have the third chair parents. The third chair parents, they simply don't care. They don't believe in God. They don't care about God. They don't care about church. They have no desire to be connected into a church community. All right, so you have first chair, fully devoted followers of Christ. Second chair, eh, when people are watching. Third chair, don't care. Guess what first chair parents, what kind of children they raise? Come on, interactive. First chair kids. Fully devoted followers of Christ raise fully devoted followers of Christ. Third chair parents, people who don't care at all. What kind of, parent, what kind of children do you think they raise? Come on. Third chair kids. All right. Second chair. They certainly don't raise first chair kids. Do you think they raise second chair kids? They raise third chair kids. Third chair kids. And here's the reason why. I think this generation, all generations, but specifically this generation, hates hypocrisy more than anything. They hate hypocrisy more than anything. There is nothing that will drive them further from God and the church than a parent who says they believe in God, but yet act as if he doesn't exist when no one's watching. That will drive a child further from church than you could possibly imagine. A parent who says they believe in God, but acts as if he doesn't exist when no one is watching. If you want to raise disciples, you need to pay attention to who you are when the lights turn off. You need to pay attention to who you are when no one else is watching. It's not about the picture on Instagram or Facebook or whatever it may be. It's about the stuff that doesn't make the cut onto social media. That's what your kids see. And if you want to raise a disciple, you better pay attention to that. Another statistic for you this morning that I want you to think of is this. Percentage of kids who become Christ followers as adults. If both mom and dad regularly attend church with their children, you have a 72% chance of your child becoming a Christ follower as an adult. That's awesome. I'd rather it be 100%, but 72 is better. If only dad attends church with the child, 55%. Ready for this? If only mom attends church, 15%. If neither, 6%. If that's not convicting, on Saturday night when you're talking about the next day and you're talking about Sunday morning, and you start thinking about all the things that you need to do on Sunday, I want you to spend a little time thinking about if only mom or if only dad went, how much that decreases the odds of my child becoming a disciple of Jesus as an adult. Don't make it hard to follow Jesus by not following him yourself. We create access for kids and students by having a plan. We create access for kids and students by loving God ourselves. And number three, by teaching and training them. And you must commit yourselves wholeheartedly to these commands that I'm giving you today. Repeat them again and again and again to your children. Talk about them when you're at home and when you're on the road, when you're going to bed and when you're getting up. Tie them to your hands and wear them on your forehead as a reminder. Write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. Not only are we called to commit ourselves uh, to what the scriptures say, we're commanded to repeat them again and again and again to our children. I want to challenge you, church. I want to challenge you to leverage every bit of positional influence that you may have, whether it's 12 hours a day, six, two to four, or maybe less than one. Maybe you don't have children, but you know children. 
They're watching you. You have influence whether you think you do or you don't. But I want to challenge you to leverage that influence every way that you possibly can. Get a box of dry erase markers. They're cheap. I'll give them away if I have to. And I want you to take this marker and I want you to write a passage of scripture on the mirror in your house so that when your child wakes up in the morning and they look in the mirror and they go, oh, they see a passage of scripture that reminds them that they were created in the perfect image of God. They see a passage of scripture that reminds them that God loved them so much that he was willing to lay down his life for them so that he, they may have a relationship with him. Or they see a passage of scripture that reminds them that there's a better way to live life, that they're not what the world sees, but that their value is based not on what they do or what they don't do, but rather the price that God was willing to pay for their lives. All it takes is dry erase marker. Don't use a Sharpie though, it doesn't come off. Write it on a napkin and slip it into a lunchbox. Put it on a lock screen on your phone or your iPad. Uh, put it as the backdrop. Get one of those photo frames that you can scroll through pictures. Put it in your house somewhere. Print it out and put it on your fridge. Here's an idea. Get a Bible and bring it in the car so that when you're driving, instead of fighting over Netflix or Amazon or watching Masha and Bear, whatever your kids do, they can open up the Bible and flip through it. Who cares if they rip a page? Come to church and get another one. Engage in God's word with your family. Maybe, just maybe, you shut the TV off at night and you say, hey, let's go through a Bible story together. I know one that's really cool. I don't know what you need to do. I don't know what you need to do, but I encourage you to leverage every bit of influence that you have. And here's the thing, as you're doing that, as you're writing that note on the mirror for your children, I promise you that it's going to speak to you just as much as it is going to speak to them in the morning. As you're writing that note on a napkin and slipping it in a lunchbox, maybe you take one and you say, hey, you know what? I'm going to do one for my spouse. I want them to know that they are a daughter of God. I want them to know that they are son of God, that they were made perfect in his image. And it doesn't matter that we were fighting about finances last night or fighting about parenting or we disagree on this politically or this or that. That above all else, we are sons, we are daughters of God. There's no time left on the clock. You're standing at the foul line. You're down one. And it's one and one. Some of you know what I'm talking about, some of you don't. But the referee's standing underneath the net. He blows the whistle and he, and he passes you the ball and it gets in your hands. And you're standing there, the crowd is going wild and you're sweating and you're tired and you're anxious and you're holding the ball and I pray to God for your sake that it's not the first time you've ever taken a foul shot. Let alone the first time you've ever held on to a basketball. No, you spend hours and hours and hours practicing, hours and hours training, all for that moment so that you're ready when the time comes. We pray our kids won't ever face adversity. We pray that our kids won't ever lose a loved one. We pray that they won't be in dangerous situations. We pray that they won't be bullied. We pray that everything is gonna be great, but the reality is it's not. When your child faces difficult times, it doesn't mean that you failed as a parent, but when your child faces difficult times, if they don't know the hope of Jesus, man, we missed something. The reality is when it happens, it's our job to teach them and train them so that when the time comes and when the time does come, that they are prepared and they know the hope and love of Jesus Christ that is theirs no matter what, that they may have life and they may have it to the fullest no matter what the world around them says. 
So church, if we want to be an only God church, if we want to be a church that invests not in the church of tomorrow, but rather the church of today, if we want to be an only God church who creates access for kids and for students to meet Jesus on their level, it is imperative. It is imperative that we teach them and we train them and that we have a plan and that we love God. But this morning, I want to close with this. A proverb that as parents, many of us would be familiar. Train up a child in the way he should go. And when he's old, he will not depart from it. So as we get ready to come to the table this morning and partake in the Lord's Supper together, I want to ask you a few questions. How is it that we are training up our children? Are we training them to fear God? Are we training them to manage God's money? Are we training them to watch their words? Are we training them to be responsible? Are we training them to carefully select friends? Are we training them to be generous? Are we training them to guard their minds? And above all else, are we training them to love the Lord their God with all their heart, with all their soul, and with all their strength? And only God church creates access for kids. But here's the thing. It starts right in this room. It starts right here in each and every one of us. If we want to create disciples of Christ who depend fully on God, we need to fully depend on God ourselves. And as parents, sometimes we don't get it right. We're going to miss the mark. But God gives us absolutely everything we need. Everything that we need 